Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The pursuit for food has taken us into the wilderness, across rivers, and atop mountains. These journeys have connected us to the wild. It is this connection that allows us to experience the wild places this world has to offer in search for both wild game and adventure. This is my adventure for food. I don't think it's a, a secret that I'm an Appalachian boy. While I might live out in the Pacific Northwest now, uh, my roots are, are pretty deep in the deciduous forest and, and Western Virginia. And I grew up in a deer hunting family where venison was a staple in that household. And I, I've, I've just grown up with that appreciation uh, for the hunt. And, and because of that, I, I've never been a trophy hunter a day in my life. If you look at where things are now for me in, in Southeast Washington, I come from getting five to six deer tags a year in Virginia. Uh, being able to harvest a, a handful of does, a handful of bucks, very liberal seasons. For, and, and I come out here and what we, what we call out in Washington, the general hunts are uh, archery is the longest. You get about a month and you can kill either sex usually. Uh, bucks are usually three point minimum. But as far as the firearm seasons, you get eight or nine days. And it doesn't matter what, what you get for the season, what you buy, you pick a weapon, you get one tag, and best of luck. And there are many, many more hunters on the, the public access in Washington than uh, than I've ever witnessed anywhere else. And that might might be because this is this is open country out here. It's wheat country and so forth. But over the years, it's it's become quite an eye opener to me how different whitetail hunting is in Washington versus versus the East and and probably the the Northwoods and so forth. And so. This one particular season, I applied for a second deer tag. And for me, I don't have the best of luck. And, and considering the, the general 
population of the the regular hunting seasons the second deer tag was more like the deer tag i was going to be able to fill that year and precisely as i thought you know i go out for the general hunts and this is a rifle tag and i either see mule deer does which are not legal uh, and zero bucks which if you don't see a legal buck then that's not even going to help you out right so I had this second doe tag and I was like, this is totally my salvation. And I was so thrilled to hunt it because number one, just having a special tag really cuts down to usually less than a third of the number of hunters or, or even just a fraction of the general season hunters that are going to be in the woods. So I was just absolutely thrilled. It's like, Hey, this is great. Now they, I've, and I've got these, this great unit to hunt. It's full of whitetails and there's not going to be anybody out there. And it seems that a lot of folks really don't want to hunt does in this area that that it's more of a it's more of a, a buck hunting type I, I don't know if folks just grow up that way it's like uh, i i remember stories from pennsylvania from way back in the day where guys are like hey i gotta get my buck you know and uh, i i feel like it's that kind of mentality out here when i talk about hunting does and people are like what do you mean hunt does you know does are nuts women and children hunt does you know the kind of almost a machismo kind of a thing man but i was thrilled to have this doe tag so of course after striking out during the general seasons i'm ready to fill that tag right and i and i wake up it's a it's a i think november 9th so getting into just the prime of the of the deer season and i wake up that morning after after such hard luck during the general seasons and it is just a blanket of fog i might as well have been looking through through frosted glass you know, there was, there was pretty much no way, unless I literally tripped on a deer that was legal, that I was going to be able to do anything with it. But I went out there. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to go and I'm going to bust through the brush. And of course, I, I don't know what I was really thinking, taking my dad's old 243, because that's not quite a brush gun. Anyhow, I grabbed it. I went out and wouldn't you know, I, I started busting through some of the brush and I kicked up some fine whitetail bucks. Of course, you don't have a buck tag in your pocket when you're kicking up bucks left and right. But hey, no, no matter. Nobody was there. Well, I, I went ahead and, and stomped around and, and checked out some of the properties. I had, I had done some map scouting and hunted in the past. And and just to waste some time. And, and luckily, unusually, the fog lifted. You know, usually out here in the southeast Washington area, when you get those really dense blankets of fog, those things settle in and they just sit here. And they'll sit here for a week or more, two weeks. But it was one of those one of those lovely days where that stuff burned off, and it was just this incredible afternoon. And I knew exactly where I was going to go, and it was a place that I told a buddy of mine I was going to go hunt because it's it's a hike in, it's a it's a private access, but the public is allowed to to hunt it, and it's a it's a good 45 minute hike in there. And there's a there's a nice deep brushy canyon, and I'd hunted it during buck seasons past and sat in this canyon and watched does just frolic left and right, you know, no, no big deal. There are does all through that thing. And so I trucked on in there that afternoon and it was just fab fantastic sitting beneath a few uh, big old pine trees overlooking this canyon and typical, not a single doe in that canyon. And I was, I was watching deer quite a ways off feeding around the edge of a, of a wheat field. And, and, you know, I, I was, I was ready to take a little bit longer shot, but I wasn't ready to, to just start blazing away. You know, it was it was the early season, the early part of the season, and I think I had at least 14 days to fill that tag. So it's like there's no way to get antsy here. Just enjoy the evening, and and I, I've never been a super patient hunter, and so 
I sat there and, and I actually did have a couple of fawns come by and they were so close. It was one of those things where I was, I was starting to, to shake because I would, I had been still for too long and trying not to breathe and stuff because fawns were literally within spitting distance of me right in front of a rose bush. And so that was cool. You know, I had, and there was, there was action going on, but nothing I really wanted to obviously shoot. And so I did, I enjoyed the evening pretty well. And I was like, mm, my hind end hurting. I, I, I think it's time to get up and get out of here. There was uh, the field kind of peeled over the top of this ridge behind me, dropped into another brushy canyon, and there's this there. It's I don't know if it's a pine plantation or what on the uphill side of this thing it was this weird kind of a saddle that I was sitting down off the side of, and I thought I'd seen deer in the past when I was hiking out of there, coming out of that pine stand, into that field, and so I popped up, just. I probably had 15 minutes of daylight left or, or at least shooting light. And I popped out and, and was standing here in this wide open uh, pea field that had been harvested. And I look over and sure enough, two does come right out of that pine pine stand. And and so I think I had my range finder and I must have ranged them. I was like, oh, they're, they're probably, you know, a couple 300 yards. I'm not going to shoot that far yet. And I ranged them and the one was about 140. And I was like, oh, well, I, I should probably start putting a stock on here funny you know fun thing is it's like a stock what do you mean there's like zero there's zero terrain you're in the middle of a of a, a harvested field all, all you have is daylight and so i just used it i was like okay so i'll take some daylight and I'll, and I'll take some wind and i just started creeping along behind this doe and it was this really strange waltz the deer of i don't know how it never spotted me I, I i guess i was wearing the right color of camo but of course it was in blaze orange i had a rifle tag deer never spotted me and she stayed i i got to within about 100 yards of her and just stayed there and kept trailing and kept trailing and i had my shooting sticks and and every now and again she would stop and she would start to feed and quarter away just right and i would get set up on those sticks and i would i would be pressuring the trigger on that 243 and this is like a a 1960 something maybe even older remington 700 and i don't know the trigger is has like a 40 pound pull on it it's the scariest thing like you never know when it's going to fire and every now and again it has like a, a hiccup in the middle and so you know i'm sitting here and i'm squeezing and i'm squeezing and i'm squeezing and the deer starts to walk away so i pull my finger off really quick sit there and i'm like holy crap and, and the first time i did that i had thrown my pack off and everything i was like all right well this is a done deal so i had you know strapping everything back on grabbing my sticks loping along after this deer and, and trying to stay just low enough on the horizon and i swear i set up on that deer five times and 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 it was finally i it was it was one of those things where it's like this is it if i can't pull the trigger this time I can't do it because I will seriously just be out of shooting light. And I had the crosshairs on that doe, and she stood just long enough for that rifle to report, just flattened her right there. And it was it was so so much fun. It was just a, a kind of a, a weird spot in stock that, that you never would dream would ever work. You wouldn't even you wouldn't. It's not something you'd ever even try for. But you know, as as I was as I watched her go down and 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 racked another shell in, and and I just kind of sat there and watched for a minute, and she felt just I was just down low enough on the horizon I couldn't see her after she fell, and so I sat there for a minute and I thought, okay, well, clearly haven't seen anything going on, so I'm going to go ahead and get get up. You know, already I had all my gear on. It was like I'm not going to take it off if I'm going to have to keep this waltz. So I wrestled myself up, had my frame pack started walking a little bit and then i could see the belly there 
and I started thinking about what I really wanted out of that tag, right? So a, a dough tag is, is just one of the, the most incredible fill the freezer kind of things. And, and I was so ready for that because that, that venison is, is the pretty much the only red meat that hits my freezer. I, I don't do beef. Uh, I get some, some home raised pork here and there, but if it's not, if it's not something I've, I've caught or, or killed, it usually doesn't come to the freezer. And so I was getting low and I was super excited and I wanted one of those nice year and a half old, you know, getting to be maybe a hundred pound deer, but somebody that was, that was just prime in, in quantity and quality. And as I approached this doe, I realized that was just precisely what I had. And, and I was so excited to have filled that tag. And I sat there, you know, there's, there's something really special about sitting with, with your white tail or your mule deer, you know, right, right after, right after the harvest. And you just admire the, the, I guess how, how thick and soft and how healthy those, those coats are when they're coming into winter. And they're, they're just, you know, they're so beautiful and you're so, so thrilled and blessed to, to have that opportunity to take that animal and to be bringing it home to, to put on the table. So I, you know, I laid my stuff out there. I was getting ready to, uh, getting ready to, to, to process her. And, and it, I, I laughed to myself because I don't know anybody out this way that would do what I did to shoot just a doe. You know, it's like, why would, why would you work to kill a doe? You can get a doe anywhere if you get one of those special doe tags. Well, that might be true. You know, I, I got a buddy who's got 40 acres that, shoot, I get to go sit on his porch and drink a beer and shoot one in about 20 minutes because they just, they're all over his place in the yard and everything. But, you know, it's, it's not really how you want to do it, right? So I really was just taking it all in and I've, I've gotten the processing down to... 40 to 45 minutes regardless of the size of the deer and had everything laid out and and of course you know I, since I had shot this this doe right at dark it was black while I was out there working this deer up and <laughs> to add a little adventure to it you know I, I had my headlamp on and and I guess I had fed I thought about it, but I had failed to put in the uh, the additional AAA batteries that morning uh, when I packed up to go and so I uh, luckily had the deer tag, which was most important. But as I'm as I'm just trying to get, I think it must have been the the last quarter that was taken off of that deer. The uh, the headlamp went black, and so I was able to uh, I was able to, to light up the cell phone. Luckily, I had that. I stuck it in my mouth, you know, made that work just long enough to to finish packing up that bag, get it tied up, and strapped on to the to the frame pack. And uh, so I got everything loaded up finally through and made, made sure I got the excess stuff like any bones and part of the carcass that I wasn't taking, got it out of the wheat or out of the pea field. So the farmer wouldn't have to run over with their equipment or whatever. And then I, I just kind of looked around, I cut the phone off, threw it in my pocket and, and had this, this incredible timely wind. It was, it was unreasonably warm for, for early November and, and had this really nice kind of a warm headwind come right in. And I look off to the west, and uh, the small town that I live in is is lit up. The, you can see the lights at the airport. It was about time for the uh, the evening Alaska Air flight to come in from Seattle, and so it was just this kind of this really neat, uh, massive pines and firs silhouetted against the lights of the of the city, and it was totally moonless. So there was just a billion stars out, and uh, luckily I was right next to the crest of that 
pea field. And I could follow the crest all the way back, uh, a couple of miles back to the truck where I was at. So I had this just incredible hike out, beautiful scenery, and, you know, coyotes going around. That's one of the things I actually came to love moving out west is, is whether, you know, whether I'm packing deer or whether I'm just coming off of the hunt in the evening, hiking out. I know I'm going to be among coyotes and, and hearing those packs. And sometimes you have two, three, four packs around depends on, you know, what the wind is doing and how well you can hear them. But, but hearing that and, and yeah, I've, I've never been too worried about it. knowing we've got cougar around and whatnot, but the thing that scares the pants off of me every time are birds. And, uh, that was, you know, I'm really enjoying that hike out in the dark. Next thing you know, I step on a flock of, or a covey of Hungarian partridge and, and just about lose it. <laughs> so they, they picked up and took off and, but that was, you know, that was the kind of the highlight of the, the darkness anyway, but had this, uh, had this great hike out, hike out. And, and, you know, when you get back to the truck and you set that pack down, you drop that weight, she was probably, I didn't bone her out. So I probably had you know, 60 to 80 pounds of deer in that pack. When you drop that thing on the tailgate, reach in the truck and grab your, grab your water or snack or what have you. And, you know, that's kind of when things hit home that the hunt was successful. And, and uh, so it was really about that time I had worked up quite an appetite and was just, just beside myself with, with a, an incredible end to a, to a hunt that I had, or, or a season I'd put a lot into and, and pretty much come up empty handed. And so, man, the thought of, of getting home and putting a fresh tenderloin in the in the frying pan, jumped in the truck and put her in drive and and that was that was my adventure for food. <laughs>